0: Text passage of scripture for the entire year and its theme of sharpening our focus in 2020 is Acts 2020. It is our theme verse for the year. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, Paul said, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. I'd like to preach on the entire passage this morning here, but we're not going to do that for time's sake, obviously. We're going to draw our attention to one verse of scripture here. It's our text verse. Of course, I'm referring to verse 28. The Bible says... Take heed, therefore, Paul said to the elders at Ephesus, take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and unto all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Last week, our message title was What Really Matters. We looked at Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and 37, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? This morning we want to look at what's really important. For 390 million people across the world, what was really important seven days ago was the Super Bowl. It's 300 million, 390 million eyes around the world watching it, 54th Super Bowl, and the Chiefs won over the 49ers for the record. On Monday night, six days ago, was the Iowa, as it's been now called, the Iowa Debacle Cau- 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 Caucus, the first of the election night uh, results. And of course, I was stayed up for, I wanted to see the results, of course, and we didn't get the results for about three days later, and it's still murky on the, what took place. On Tuesday was probably, in my opinion, one of the most entertaining State of the Union addresses, and certainly in my lifetime, for sure. And a lot of fireworks there, of course, on Tuesday night, and I don't know how many of you watched the the State of the Union Address. Rush Limbaugh received the Presidential Medal of Freedom to the shock and horror of many and to the delight of many as well. On Wednesday, the President was acquitted of impeachment charges. Third time in our country's history that a President has been brought up on impeachment charges. And on the same day, he received the highest approval rating in the history of his three-year presidency. On Thursday, Kirk Douglas died at 103 years of age. Of course, as a lineage of uh, his protege is the actors and actresses as well, and played Spartacus, of course, and he's dead at age 103. On Friday, all the markets took a major upturn. In fact, they all hit record highs. The jobs report came out, 255,000 new jobs added the previous month, uh, higher than expected. The economy's roaring. Oh, and by the way, this last week, something called the coronavirus, and the Chinese have told us that 10,000 have died because of the coronavirus and the the flu, and it's probably 10 times that much. We don't really know. But I would say that even though last week was an incredible week in some people's estimation, I would submit to you that within days from right now and from weeks from right now for sure, that all will be forgotten, that it'll be just a bleep in history. No one will remember, and the majority will never even care. The things of this earth grow strangely dim, the Bible says. I would submit to you, I'll give you the facts in regards to our text before us that we'll get to in a moment, but let me give you a fact this morning. The Second Corinthians 4 and verse 17 reminds us, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, we talked about it last week, we're here today and gone tomorrow, our life's but a vapor, appears for a little while and then vanishes away worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Saint Corinthians 4.18 says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen. And so we want to deal with what's really important this morning, but I want to give you the, on the worksheet here, the here and now comes and goes. It's all fleeting. It's all temporal. It's all going to pass away. Half the things I talked about last week and it was a monumental week in my mind, in so many ways. Many of you, pardon me, and I'm trying to chide try it at all, but many of you don't even care. Many of you didn't even know. Doesn't matter. You don't remember. You don't care, even if it took place, whatever took place. This here and now is temporal. Another person died last week that I have to keep uh, unnamed, of course. Always somebody dying related to our church family, and somebody died last week. Uh, their family's not here this morning, so I just touch on it. But it's not the here and now, because that's all temporal, but it's the now and hereafter that's forever. And Paul is leaving Ephesus for the after three years of ministering, night and day with tears. He didn't shine to preach the whole counsel of God to and preached Christ and him crucified to this city of Ephesus, and they formed a church at Ephesus, of course. We read about it in the book of Ephesians, and then later on in Revelation chapter 2. And Paul says, he says in this passage of Scripture, uh, time does not permit for us to dissect the whole passage, so we'll just use one verse this morning. He says to the elders in verse number 28 one more time, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. Might I say he's talking to pastors or elders or bishops, as we're going to find out? And the first person I need to take care of, and it sounds selfish, but I want you to know the first person Marty Schott needs to take care of is Marty Schott. Because if I don't take care of Marty Schott, everything else goes awry. The first person, and you're not being selfish, that you need to take care of is that person you see in the mirror every morning. And so I want you to notice that Paul says, as he's leaving, never to return, he says, take heed therefore to yourselves, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. I want to tell you this morning, I want to give to you to what's really, really important. Many of you don't even do football. You don't care about what happened at the Super Bowl Sunday night. Many of you don't do politics. Many of you don't care about the Iowa caucus. That means nothing. You don't even know what a caucus is or a is. Uh-huh. <laughs> Tuesday night, the the, the presidential the, uh, state of the union, I, I live for that. I love that thing, and I really loved it this year. But some people are abhorred by it. And then the impeachment, and then the impeachment acquittal, I should say, and then the the Hollywood trivia, and then all the stuff that we could talk about. And then uh, some don't even care about the coronavirus. And then some that's going to come and go like the Sears or the, the uh, what was another the virus? They had SARS. You see, how I was call it the Sears virus. It's the SARS virus, whatever it was. You don't even remember it. Those things pass away. But let's sharpen our focus this morning on what's really important. And the first thing I believe that's important, I'm talking to the children of God this morning, to those that name the name of Christ. Paul was speaking to those that name the name of Christ, particularly the pastors. He said, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. I want to tell you this morning to sharpen your focus on what's really important by being protected by his bishop. Being protected by his bishop. Now the word overseers there is the word Episcopos, there. And it's a, the it's a word that's translated here in our Bible, in our King James Bible, the word overseers. Most, of all, most often in the King James Bible, it's translated seven other times as the word bishop or bishops. It's the word episcopos. Obviously, the Episcopalians get their name from that. Episcopos is one of the five defining words of a pastor. He's the overseer, he has the oversight. He's the bishop, he's not more important than any other child of God he just has a different position this overseer emphasizes the duty of the shepherd the Bible says be not many 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 masters knowing that he shall receive a greater condemnation it's a fearful thing I was talking to brother Chad he's going of course he's been training for four years to go into the ministry of course I think everybody knows that he went to Bible college and he's he feels called and led to be a pastor someday and it's, a, it's not something of your choosing, it's something of a calling of God. It's something that's supernatural, more, more than natural. And an overseer is chosen by the Holy Ghost, according to this passage and several other passages as well. You see, and I don't say this with any brag or boast whatsoever. I'd love to go into the story of how I became the pastor of Harvest Baptist Church. It was by default, humanly speaking. Well, I'll tell you, tell you the ten second version it was uh look at Brother Glenn Abbott because he's uh, only the last of the Mohicans, of so the family the Abbott family that was there. His daddy of course, been in heaven for several years, and he his daddy and four ladies, the church we were down in Butler street I was a twenty seven year old kid at the time, and uh his daddy had a mercy vote on me. We had a three pound baby girl, my daughter, Kristen, was born at three pounds. On December 9th, December 10th was supposed to be December 10th rather. December 11th was the Wednesday night service in the, the vast church at Harvest Baptist Med with five members down at 48 Butler Street in downtown Torrington. And uh, we couldn't be there because we had a three pound baby girl the day before and we thought she was, she was hanging on between life and death. And the church voted me and his pastor, but uh, it was a, a mercy vote, I call it. They were too, too, uh, too, uh, they didn't want to hurt me by voting me down as being their pastor, so they voted me in. But here's the real truth of the matter is, and I say this with all humility of mind, it wasn't the five people that voted me in as pastor. It was the Spirit of God that led the people to, to that unanimous vote. I like to tell people I was voting with a unanimous vote as being a pastor of the Baptist Church. And... Uh, uh, thank you for that. Can you say it a little bit louder, Glenn? So I'm dead tempted <laughs> Protected. You need to be protected by a pastor. There's five defining words of a pastor. The first one is episkopos, or overseer. Here, bishop in our text here, or overseer in our text, but most often bishop. But the second word is also in our text. Back up to verse number 17. This is a defining word for a, a shepherd or a bishop or a pastor. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders... Now that's a Greek word. Uh, there's a lot of fun Greek words. This is another one of those fun Greek words. This is the word presbyteros. We got the episcopos. The Episcopalians take their name from that, episcopal. And then you got the presbyteros, there's a group of people, a denomination called Presbyterians. And the presbyteros, you see, from that first part of the word, there, pres it literally means the president of the assembly. You see, this is a ecclesia. I'm pointing to the exit site over there. This is a called-out assembly of the Church of Jesus Christ. The word is ecclesia, a called-out assembly of God's people. And the presbyteros over the assembly is the pastor or the shepherd or the poimen or the bishop. And if the if the word overseer or bishop has to do with stresses duty, the word elder has to do with, focuses on the dignity of the office. Everybody needs a mentor in their life. Everybody needs a I'm glad I had a father in my life. I still have a father at 83 years of age. He was an unsaved man for 79 years, most of you know the story. But he was a mentor in my life. My grandfather died when I was 15 years old. But he was a mentor of sorts in my life for why he was on planet Earth, why in my young days. It's good to have mentors in our life, somebody you look up to, coaches in your life, and somebody that you can, you can emulate and model your life after. So we see that a pastor... It's very important that you decide to be protected by a bishop or the overseer, the bishop or presbyteros in your life. The third word that's often used to define a pastor's role is the word kerux or the verb form keruso or to preach or kerux to be a preacher. Paul said one verse will suffice for time's sake, First Timothy 2 7. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher, I'm ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I asked Brother Chad, and I gave the story, I asked Brother Chad if he ever felt the call of God in his life. Now, don't feel bad if you've, to, to be a pastor or to be a preacher. And if you've never had that call, that's okay. That's all right. You're still, if you're a child of God, God called you maybe to be in the hospital at the, at the, uh, as a nurse or a doctor or a practitioner or maybe in the factory, wherever God cho- chose you to be. Maybe God called you. We all have an occupation, whatever your occupation is, but our vocation is to serve Christ and live for Christ, our calling. There's a special calling for the man of God and another whole message. We could develop this in much more detail. But a preacher, I asked Brother Chad going back if he felt ever felt that call. I remember that day I felt that call and a November day in 1976 in Waterloo, Wisconsin on a very cold Sunday night service. Brother McGee, they had closed communion at this church, the Fellowship Baptist Church of Waterloo, Iowa. which is now a daycare center. I'm afraid to tell you, and uh, the church closed down a few years ago. But I had to sit out in the car on a Sunday night service after, because they had closed communion, members only, and I wasn't a member of the church at the time. And I looked up to the star, and like last night, we saw. Uh, just it was incredible, the most incredible thing I've ever seen in the sky. And uh, I was looking out on a cold November night, shivering in the car, and looking up at the stars and realizing that God created all those stars and who was I just some little kid from Ohio ended up in Wisconsin for some odd reason going to college and uh, I remember praying a prayer and uh, looking up to God and God, uh, I felt the call of God in my life. I'm not much of a preacher trying to be a good pastor at least i like to be a good preacher. Chad, I'm still working on it. I've been working on it for 35 years. i got a long ways to go. But uh, amen to that. Amen. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm working at it. The Bible says, preach the word. Be instant in season out of season. The, the pastor is to be a preacher, proclaimer of the truth in faith and verity. And then a fourth word is the word didaskalos. And, we, and When I was in college, we had a society a men's society named Didaskalos. We had a Poimane society, a Didaskalos society, a Philos society. That's the word for love. I was in the Philos. We got nicknamed the Fellows, The Fellows. But anyhow, that's another story. But uh, Didaskalos, the preacher, is to be a teacher. The Bible says he gave gifted men to the church in Ephesians 4.11. The Bible speaks about he gave some pastors and teachers. And if you look at the construction of that, in most, every scholar, in fact, every Greek scholar I know of says that it's what's called the Granville Sharp rule, it's talking about one in the same office, that the pastor is to be the master teacher, the head teacher, the headmaster of the school, if you will. So we're to teach the word of God, we're to preach the word of God with all long-suffering and doctrine, we're to be... uh, the elders of the church in dignity were to be the overseer or the bishop of the church in duty. God's called us to this shepherding role, and that leads us to the fifth and final word for uh, the main five words for defining a pastor, and that is the word for pastor. It's the word poimain or the word she- for the word that we no- normally translated as shepherd. And he's the good shepherd of our soul, of course, and so we see these. Uh, Pastor is to be a shepherd of the sheep and to be a leader of the sheep. And that leads me to the five dutiful works of a pastor. And I need to begin to start to hurry a little bit. I got bogged down in the 815 message, by too, too detailed with these little sub points here. But we see the five defining words of the pastor. But then secondly, quickly, the five dutiful works of a pastor. First of all, a pastor is called, Paul told these Pastors, these bishops in Acts twenty twenty eight take heed to you, therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock of God, which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. The first job of the pastor, dutiful work of the pastor, is to guide the sheep, to guide the sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. Can you quote it with me? I shall not what want. I shall not lack anything. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me the good shepherd that he is, to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. You know, uh, Brother Paul, where's Brother Paul? Uh, I remember, I had a flashback. I, of course, I knew I was preaching this message, this little sub-point here. Uh, I, you guys are rich. I could start picking on guys. Ken Dayfield, mainly the big... Remember the White Water Rapids trip? Of course, the trip to all Trips where we almost lost about seven guys into the... The white water rapids of the Penobscot River, and, and i 'm only one third joking. It was pretty treacherous. We went about ten years ago and I said that 's it i 'm too old for this. never again. Uh, I want to look I might want to look at white water, but I never want to be in the, the washing machine the churning waters. And sometimes pastors, we like to stir the pot, so to speak, so we like to stir the waters and we like to make create turbulence and so forth, and maybe too much so. The older I get, the more I want to be around the Still waters. The more I want a preacher to talk to me, not talk down to me, but talk to me and just tell me and, and soothe me and uh, tell me, lead me beside still waters, lead me to the green pastures. That's what our good Shepherd does. So, our the chief Shepherd of our souls, Lord Jesus, we're to guide uh, the shepherds, I, uh, sh- guide the sheep rather. Uh, a verse that I shudder when I read it because I. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, be followers of me. I don't want you to be a follower of Marty Shot. If it ends there, you're going to go down a wrong road if you follow me. But Paul said, be followers of me as I follow Christ. Now, if I'm following Christ, I want you to follow me. But every pastor, every, every under-shepherd is a flawed, every under-shepherd is a sinner. I've said it many times, but it's germane to every pastor that's ever been born on planet Earth with a sin nature. i said many people will never come to Harvest Baptist Church because they don't like Pastor Marty Schott for whatever reasons. And he might have good reasons, by the way. And they, they, might, they might have saw me do something I shouldn't have done or say something I shouldn't have said or misspoke or whatever. Don't look to the man, look to Christ. You'll make a mistake every time you look to the man. But Paul said, you follow me as I follow Christ. And I'm trying to follow Christ. Uh, I think most of you know that, of course. And so, but I want to guide you towards Christ, not towards me, or not even towards this church, per se, in and of itself, but towards Christ. So the preacher is to guide the flock. It's one of his dutiful works. Then he's to guard them. In verse 29 of our text... Paul said, For I know that, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves. The Bible says there's wolves in sheep's clothing. Not everyone that names the name of Christ. Brother McGee, Pastor McGee, you know this very well. Being a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, a true minister of the gospel. Not everybody that puts on a suit and tie or a robe and names the name of Christ is a follower of Christ and leading people towards Jesus. There's many wolves in sheep's clothing. Of the clergy, I'm not preaching, just telling the truth. Now, there's the Bible says, "Guard them." Jesus said, "They'll become wolves among you, not sparing the flock. Uh, wolves in sheep's clothing." It's our goal to guard. Uh, one of the one of the people that I want to guard against, you want know, to guard, to be on guard against, is you. You say, "What do you mean, by that, preacher?" Well, let me quote to you Second Timothy two verse twenty four. It'll suffice to. But there's a point. And the servant of the Lord, or the, the, the bishop or the pastor or the point or the shepherd, must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. You know what I figured out being a being pastor of Harvest Baptist for a few years now? we got all a bunch of sinners. Everybody's sinners in our church. Everybody's messed up. We don't have an intact family. We all got broken families, every one of us. Mine Mine included. We're, we, 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 have, we have flaws. The Bible says the servant of the Lord must be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. Aren't you glad the shepherd is chief shepherd of our souls, patient with us? In meekness. Instructing those that oppose themselves. You see, the worst enemy you face is that person you see in the mirror every morning. If God, peradventure, perhaps will give them repentance unto the acknowledging of The truth. That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive at him, of him by, by by him at his will. It happened again this past week. I'm no, 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 one hundred percent serious. Another death this week. Drug overdose, right? Connected with our church family. So sad but I hate to say it wasn't unexpected. You go down that road, at the last it biteth like a serpent and singeth like an adder. There's a law of consequences, a law of sowing and reaping. You know somebody's going down that wrong road, whether it be, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. You go down that road of alcoholism, as the world calls it. Go down that road of drug abuse, as the world calls it. The road of gambling, as the world calls it. Go on and on and on and on with all the and eventually it'll end to your ruination. And a pastor is to guard the flock. Sometimes to instruct those that oppose themselves. Well, let's move on here. We're to pastors start to overseers are to guide them, guard them. But then thirdly, we're in the grooming business to groom them. You're being groomed right now, in case you don't know it. This is a therapy session, this is a grooming session. Hebrews thirteen seven says this, Remember them which have the rule or overseership over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation or their lifestyle or their citizenship. Let me say it this way in regards to the end of our, our life, it, it, it pays to serve God. It pays to live for the Lord. That law of sowing and reaping, whatsoever man sows, that shall you also reap. The reaping day has not come yet. In many lives, it's, it's incremental, but one day it'll come to full fruition. Hebrews 13:17 says it this way in regards to grooming the pastor's job to groom the, the sheep. Obey them. Well, oh, we don't like that word sometimes, do we? In fact, oftentimes we don't like it. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. I, I've given the illustration, it's true. I do fewer and fewer weddings, but uh, I've done a whole bunch of weddings over the course of my ministry. And I was going through the the vows with uh, one couple, and I got to the point where uh, this is in the practice session, and this is the day before, the night before. Now, I went to the woman, and, and her vowed, Lord, do, do, do you promise to love, cherish, and obey your husband? And she said, do I have to say that? And I says, well, you know, it's, Kind of in the Bible, and this is my vows that I give here, and uh, they're meant to be your vows, and supposed to be, it's holy matrimony after all. Servants are to submit to their master. Sons are meant to submit to their father. And we're, we're children of God. And the pastor is in, encouraged to admonish the sheep to obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. They say them much given account that they may do with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. You see, a pastor is like a coach. The coach sometimes drives you. A coach sometimes makes you work harder than you want to work. Sometimes the coach drills you. The coach uh, uh, makes you tired and so forth. But he's doing it for your betterment. He's doing it for the, the, the betterment of the whole team and betterment for that personal individual player. Number four. In our text here, notice that the overseers are to, to uh, that are called by the Holy Ghost are to be to feed the church of God. That word feed. Notice that the pastor's work is to to grow them. The Bible says, "But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." We are to speak the truth in love. Ephesians four fifteen that we may grow up in Him into all things which is ahead, even Christ. We're to feed the church of God. We're to give, I told Brother Chad and you all know this here, I, you know, I wish I could be a joker. My best jokes are when I flub up and uh, mess up and just by accident say something stupid and you guys laugh. I'm not a joker. I'm not a great storyteller. I wish I was. Nothing wrong with that. And I like pastors that are, and preachers that are entertaining. Nothing wrong with that. I just happen not to be one of them. I just, all I can do to get the message out. But my one goal is not to be a great joke teller, a great storyteller, a great, ex, even a preacher, but to be a good, faithful expositor of the meat and potatoes of the word of God, the word of truth. You've got to give the word of truth. And it's not my opinions you love. Forget my stories. and That's okay. That's good. But don't forget the word of God. And so we see that we're to grow them. Then fourthly, fifthly, and I'm glancing at that clock and we must hurry. Sometimes and I inserted the word "sometimes" uh, for very good reasons. Sometimes the all the time the pastor is to guide, to guard, guide the sheep, guard the sheep, groom them, grow them. Sometimes he's called to goad them. G o a d. Second Timothy four verse two: Preach the word. Be in in season, out of season. I'm feeling pretty good this morning, and uh, physically and otherwise. Uh, sometimes I don't feel so good. A lot of times I don't feel good. A lot of times, either physically or otherwise, I don't feel good for other reasons. You know, there's sometimes that I preach. I've preached. I'm confessing now. It's work. Real hard work. And sometimes, there's, uh, any guy that ever comes in and and uh, could preach or he could take my place is like, hey, come on up here. You take over. I, I need a break. I don't always like to preach. But the Bible says be instant in season out of season when you feel like it when you don't feel like it. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. A lot of preachers they have a hard time stepping on people's toes. I do. I don't want to step on your toes. You probably had your toes to stepped on at work or at school this past week, right? By your boss or by some other person, whatever. And, and it wasn't probably done in love. But the pastor goads not out of hate, but out of love. He coerces. Now, a lot of people don't want to be coerced or rather be persuaded with friendly persuasion because Second Timothy 4.3 says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Boy, there's a lot of things and a lot of sins just popped in my head. I have to be so careful here. We're going to have a candidate. I think he might survive to the end. We're going to have a candidate here. This is a friendly audience. I can say this uh, for the presidency of the United States, who will bring as a man the first man into the first man into the White House if he's elected. He's a homosexual. He's very proud of it. There really was a city called Sodom, and there really was a city past tense called Gomorrah. It really is real. You say, are you a homophobe? Yes, I am. Amen. I'm a very proud homophobe. And uh, do I hate homos? Oh, excuse me, homosexuals? No, I don't hate them. I hate their sin. God's, God's word is, you say, I don't like that. And I preached on this, oh, a couple years ago. I touched on it. And we had an elderly gentleman, first-time visitor in the service. I thought he sat near the front. I thought he was probably enjoying the message greatly. And I found that afterwards. He was horrified. Sometimes you've got to tell the truth. Sometimes Jesus told the truth and they crucified him. John the Baptist told the truth and they took his head off. Paul spoke the truth and they decapitated him. Sometimes the preacher's job is to goad. I don't like to goad if I don't have to. I prefer to be liked, not hated. But the preacher is to preach the word in season, out of season, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. What am I telling you? What I'm telling you this morning that what's very important in your life is not that you knew past, these past weeks of history, that you, that you have a, if you're a child of God, that you have a bishop or a shepherd or a pastor in your life. But secondly, quickly, and yes, I burned up my time on the first point here. I'll try to hurry along. But verse 28b, Paul's giving these final words to this church, these elders, bishops at Ephesus. He's not going to see their face ever again. He said, "I want you to feed, notice the church of God." Amen. Brother Chad, you need to hear this for sure. This has never been Marty Schott's Church. Now, one day, I got a lot of sin, but I've always I bragged on this, and I continue to brag on this. I've never thought for one second this was my church. Now, this is my church in the filial sense, and this is your church in the filial sense. So we're part of it, but this is God's church. God needs me like he needs a, pardon me, a headache or He needs a pimple, pardon the slang. But it's for some odd reason. God puts up with us. But we need to be this church. You say, what's important in life that you know about politics, that you know about uh, Hollywood, that you know about coronavirus, that you know about the stock market, that you know about whatever else happened last week's Super Bowls? No, what's important this morning is that you're plugged into his body as a child of God as a child of jesus christ that you have a shepherd in your life but then that you're plugged into his body i'm talking about the local letter a on the worksheet the this body i'm talking about is visible it's literal i'm referring to a literal church over half the new testament three two to three two-thirds of the new testament was written specifically to local autonomous new testament churches local assemblies Called out assemblies, real, visible. I, let me use all the adjectives to make sure you understand what I'm talking about. Tangible, physical, fleshly, local, New Testament bodies of Christ. People who gather together in reality, not, not in a virtual church. We got virtual Christianity going on. We got our kids. Kids, I'm not preaching at you. I'm just telling you the truth. You're, you're in a, living in a fake world. You're playing these silly games, and adults are playing these silly games. There are probably people by the by the of thousands, tens of thousands, not in church in, 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 throughout America that, that are playing virtual, playing games. We're not living a life of games. You don't have a virtual family, but some of you do have a virtual family, no offense. An invisible family. The church I'm talking about, we have people that say, listen, you don't have to come to Harvest Baptist Church and hear this preacher fall, fall over his words. I understand that. You can get the best preachers at the touch of a button on your computer, on your laptop, or on your cell phone. You can get the best preachers that there are around the world at 2 a.m. in the morning. You can go to B- Pajama Baptist Church next week if you want to. Bedside Baptist Baptist Church, rather. You don't have to hear me. You can hear the best of the best. And I'm not bashing the internet. I'm not bashing the web and so forth. As it can be used for some good and so forth in computers. But I want you to know that we have people living in an alternate world, a vi- uh, invisible society. We have people that are members of the invisible Universal Church. They don't ever need to come and congregate with the visible House of God because they're in they're in Christ already, and they 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 are just out there invisible, walking around, giving their invisible tithe and taking care of invisible missionaries and and. Uh, Doing whatever they want to do. Oh, they're a renegade unto themselves. The church that you need to be plugged into is a local New Testament church, the church at Ephesus, it's the seven churches of Asia Minor that, Paul, that John wrote to in Revelation 2 and 3. And the whole book of Revelation was written first to the, to the angels or so the pastor, messengers or so the pastors of so the, the seven churches of Asia Minor and then to the churches themselves. You need to be plugged into a visible local literal church, but not only a visible local church, but a, a viable, life-changing local church. Acts chapter two: the 3,000 people's entire life was changed on a heartbeat. Paul gave the gospel, and or rather Peter gave the gospel in Acts chapter two, and he said that then all the house of Israel surely that God hath made the same Jesus whom He crucified, both Lord and Christ. And three thousand people bowed the knee and trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, and they were baptized the same day. The, the birthday, Pentecost, the birth of the church, as sometimes some people call it. But the church is viable. They changed, their whole life was changed. This is not a stretch. This is not a this is not a, a, a audacious statement whatsoever. It's a very accurate statement. 2,000 years later, we are here today because of a church in Jerusalem that was founded by 12 apostles, or rather 120 in that upper room after Jesus raised from the grave. And we are the posterity going forward that have come to know Christ as Savior because of a life-changing ministry called the Church of Jesus Christ. It's the pillar and ground of the truth, according to 1 Timothy 3. It's viable. It's life-changing. I ask you the question, where would you be in your life and only God knows these answers, really, And to the great extent. Where would your life be, where would your family be if you were not in the house of God, if you were not submitted to the house of God? I've said this story, I said it last week, I'll say it again. There's literally people that I know that are in heaven or hell, one or the other, I'm not sure which in some cases, that are in heaven or hell now because they weren't in church previously. There are sins unto death. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to, I'm goading you a little bit. First John 5 talks about a sin unto death to the Christian. Oh, I'm not trying, I did not, Paul, John said, I pray, not pray that you say that you pray for it. But the church is viable. It's life-changing. I think of the many good things that have happened because of being in the house of God. I think of my baptism. I think of the call of God to preach. I think of my marriage. I think of my children being dedicated to the Lord and then my children getting baptized. Now my 13 grandchildren and they're growing up in church. All because I was obedient to this truth, being plugged into the body. Hey, sometimes, just for the record, let's be very honest. Sometimes, don't raise your hand. Don't, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't even think about it. How many didn't feel like coming to church this morning? Raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. I don't want to see your hand. It takes work, doesn't it? You know, you got to get dressed up. You got to take a shower. Probably, you know, you probably got to get you got to get get take the dog out. You got to do all the morning chores, whatever you got to do, and then you got to get to church. And you got to it takes work. Way easier to sleep in on Sunday morning, and many people just take, to choose that. But you need to be plugged into the body. It's eternally important. It's viable. It's it's visible. It's literal. It's life changing. But then I want you to notice, notice this and. You know, uh, I want you to know that the church of Jesus Christ, that we need to be plugged into its body, this local church, it's victorious. I don't know how it's going to work, but Jesus said in Matthew sixteen eighteen that the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. We go to Revelation 2 and 3, and I'll try to do this quickly. God speaks directly to seven literal, visible, local congregations in Asia Minor, Turkey. And it gives them a commend, com, commendation rather, and a condemnation at the same time. I don't know, Brother McGee, I would have a hard time proving this uh, unapologetically, but I think I can see principle. I see judgment. We see it in Revelation 2 and 3, judgment of every individual church. Janet told me, Janet Cole just told me last week, of, she comes all the way from Woodbury, A certain church after 350 years in Woodbury, Connecticut is closing its doors. By the way, given what they now teach and preach, I'm glad they're closing their doors. But that should not be. The Bible says the gates of hell should not prevail against the church. Folks, we're on the winning side. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. I want to go to heaven knowing that I was a part of a member of an established member of a local New Testament Baptist church, a gospel-reaching church. I want to be found faithful be on the, the winning side. Yes, I did watch the Super Bowl, not the halftime, but I watched the Super Bowl last week. And, uh, you know, if I could be Mahomes, is it Mahomes? Not Mahomes, Mahomes. Or Garoppolo. I wouldn't be them for the thousand, for all the gold of China, and I mean that. I hear Mahomes might be a Christian. He gets, has a testimony. If he is, good for him. But I'd rather be in the house of God at Harvest Baptist Church, faithfully serving the Lord. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to, than to be the quarterback of the championship Super Bowl Chiefs because I'm of a greater organization, an organization that when all else fails, one day the church, as sometimes it's called universal, I don't like to say that, it's never been formed, it's never had a single meeting, someday it'll be all congregated together. We'll all come together and we'll have a great shepherd and our appointment as our pastor. Right now we've got to deal with flawed pastors but we're on the victory side. Then thirdly, last part of the verse here. Hang on here. I'm, plane's coming down for the landing. Verse 28, verse C. Why is the church of God such a big deal? Verse 28. Well, the answer is right there in the verse, right after the phrase church of God, which he hath purchased with what? With his own blood. What really matters, what really Important is in your life is that you've been, you've been purchased by his blood. You all have life because you had a mommy and a daddy. Yeah, a mommy and a daddy, by the way. You got their blood thrown for their veins, DNA. I say some of the quirks I have in mannerisms, and I, now I see it in my kids. My pro, a lot of my problems I got from my parents. A lot of my kids' problems, my girls' problems, I got from daddy and mommy. They got our blood flowing through them. But we have life. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. There's life flowing through this assembly because there's a blood, a common blood that's flowing through many bodies within this room. And I'm not talking about the physical blood type A or O or whatever you have, A positive, A negative, whatever there is. I don't know my blood types. I'm talking about the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, it's precious. There are millions of churches I saw it went by a church last night over. we were over in Bristol last evening, and there's a church with several hundred cars in it. <clears throat> not trying to be divisive at all, just speaking the truth. There's many people that think they can redeem themselves, First 1 Peter 1:18, 1, with corruptible things such as silver and gold. You light a candle or you give an offering, and, and you can buy your way into heaven. From your vain conversation received by the tradition of your, of, of your fathers. <clears throat> well, the church says this, that you can earn your way into heaven by buying your way into it. But 1 Peter 1.19 says, We're not redeemed by those things, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I got corruptible blood, and I got earthly life from my mommy and daddy. I got the eternal life from my heavenly father. Now the Father, by the way, here's little. Every word of God is there for a purpose. There's so much doctrine in verse 28. The Bible says that God the Father that He's a spirit, and they that worship Him are worshiping spirit and in truth. God doesn't have a body, the Father. God doesn't have blood, the Father. But the Bible says it's the church of God which He has purchased with His own blood, Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on the cross. And he said those wonderful words, it is finished. I want you to know he's our intercessor. And so not only is this blood is precious, but it's pleading. You say, what do you mean by that? We have a great high priest, priest that pleads for us. He ever lives to make intercession for us. The, in Ecclesia, Exodus twelve thirteen. let me do it quickly. In the Passover the children of Israel were in Egypt were taught to slay a lamb, a little innocent lamb, and shed or spread that blood upon the door, lentils of the doorpost. And the Lord Jehovah said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. When I see the blood. Genesis 4.10, here's their deep, deep, deep uh, theology. You see, what's in you that's alive? When your blood quits living, you're dead. The Bible says, when Cain killed Abel, the Lord said, the voice of thy brother's blood crieth from the ground, Genesis 4.10. Blood's alive. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I want you to know that there's blood flowing through my veins, and I'm not talking about mom and dad's blood, I'm talking about the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm talking mystically, I'm talking spiritually, you may want to say symbolically, but in one way it's very literal. What can wash away my sins? Nothing. Let the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners punched beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Don't attack the blood of Christ. It's salvation in the blood of Christ. It's cleansing. It's He pleads for us. It's on the mercy seat forever and ever. This blood is precious, this blood is pleading, but this blood thoroughly is it's perfect blood. When Jesus died on the cross, he gave those seven great sayings. The last saying, the second last saying he said was the sixth saying on the cross, one word in the Greek language, to telstai. We know it in three words in our English language. It is finished. Jesus paid it all. It's perfect blood. It's, it's, It's what can wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm going to heaven for one offering perfected me forever. And I'm sanctified by that blood, that blood of Jesus Christ. He never has to be crucified again. If you could lose your salvation and you can't, Hebrews chapter 6 says that Christ would have to be crucified again, fresh and new for you. He died once on that cross for you. That's good enough. Once for all, sinner, believe it. Once for all, brother, believe it. Or receive, or receive it, Brother, believe it. It's perfect. So I ask you the question okay, I'm going to admit it. I'm a news junkie. I think you all know that. I do like sports. I do like trivia. I do like politics. I do like things that are uh, fascinating, world geography and history and so forth and so on, what's going on, current events. A lot of things happened last week. A lot of big things, in my opinion. But they'll all be forgotten so soon. They all go by the wayside. Some of you already never did care. You won't care. You won't remember. 10,000 people died of coronavirus. I remember, I was trying to think about this. I didn't look it up. Remember when a quarter million people were killed by that tsunami that happened 15 years ago, whenever that was? I don't know when it was. It was just a quarter million people dead. Young people don't even know what I'm talking about. We won't remember. What's really important? Keeping up on politics, keeping up on world events, keeping up on sports. Being a, uh, contested on Jeopardy? What's really important as a child of God? What's really important is not the now and here and now, but the now and hereafter. And how you need to be prepared for the hereafter is by being, by being uh, wherever you are to the past to the bishop, I don't have my note in front of me, whatever you are there, by being, by being plugged into his body, by being purchased by his blood. That's what's so important. So my focus, so we sharpen our focus in 2020 on what's really important by being faithful. In my local assembly or local church, good things happen to faithful people. You don't have to be. You don't be a Christian. You don't have to go to church. You go to church because you're a Christian. You go to church because you want to learn how to be. You want to be groomed. You want to be a good Christian. And just by showing up doesn't make you a good Christian. But by showing up, you get to hear and you get to be trained and you get to be groomed, and sometimes goaded. And it's all for your benefit that you may be presented one day fallless in front of his exceeding glory. Well, what a great God we serve. Let's surrender all again to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Heavenly Father.